All right, Richard. So last week or the week before or the week before that or the week before that, I don't know anymore. I'm 37 years old. Time just is a It's a blur, yeah. It's a blur, exactly. Sometimes you're at work. Sometimes you're recording a podcast. Sometimes you're watching TV. Sometimes, like, this is how life is now. This this, this is just it. This is just how it goes. Sometimes you're watching Star Trek Voyager. Um, You had said that you were getting a little weary of the show. And I don't know if you noticed, but the sixth season contains some good news for you. The episodes are are two minutes shorter. Thank God for increased commercials during this era. So I actually think this is kind of interesting, and, and yes, it's a joke, but also I'm, I w- I'm actually surprised. I had forgotten that, you know, because Berman era Star Trek had 46-minute episodes, which was, you know, in 1987 when TNG started, that was pretty normal. Shows had like 45, 46-minute yeah. uh, episodes. But but we're you know we're in 1999 at this point we're 12 years later. If you look at some other genre shows on networks that are not the big four, or was Fox considered a major network at this point? I don't even know. I don't um, know. I, I I feel like they. I mean, Fox really it, it, it had the X Files at that point, so maybe. Maybe yeah, but I think like American Idol and stuff really like centered over the top, yeah, and yeah, then they yeah. got like they got like baseball or something. I don't know. I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, so if you look at other genre shows of, of the era, like for example Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like those episodes are not forty six minutes, and I find it extraordinarily odd that it took Star Trek Voyager this long to to lose some running time to commercials um yeah, does I, I i don't know that it means anything really it doesn't it doesn't indicate that the show is failing it doesn't indicate that upn is failing necessarily although upn did fail a few years later um it, it it's just interesting to me and i i don't know if it's really going to affect the storytelling at all because it is only two minutes but it's an interesting fact, and I just thought I would share it with everyone. Yeah, I mean, these two episodes, it did. I didn't seem to notice that they were shorter necessarily, and they told their stories and completely. So, I don't think that Voyager Voyager's problem is not that it has too little fat to trim. You know, it, it does. The yeah, <laughs> I, I I I think it is. You know, yes, maybe two two full minutes might be a lot, but you could shave from all of. I don't know. I I mean, Equinox Part Two is is okay. I think that yeah. I don't know that it necessarily lives up to the promise, if I can use that word, of of the first part of it. It's it's very. It it works as well as it works, and I think that they're trying to do some things with some characters here. But it does feature a couple of major problems, which I I think are are. I think are a little strange. Like, number one, I don't really get Ransom's weird sexual menacing of Seven of Nine. It's it's not necessary, and it plays very poorly. I don't even know how it would play in 1999. And which, you know, we'll talk about. But the other thing that I think is a more major problem is Ransom's change of heart comes out of nowhere and makes absolutely no sense. Yes. Now, and I think that is the biggest problem with the episode. I can see that... I mean, that, that is where the character does need to go thematically, right? Like, he's a Starfleet officer. He makes this horrible decision. He does these horrible things. 
But at the end of the day, he is still a Starfleet officer, and he is going to want eventually want to atone for that. And that that is a nice completeness to him that he does have the change of heart. But as as you say, he has that change of heart because the character needs to because of the thematic point that they're going to make. Not that they. I mean, and it is very possible for Seven of Nine to be the agent of that change of heart. I could see an episode that's a little more focused on, let, let's say this is a duet-style episode in which it's largely Seven of Nine and Ransom having discussions about what he did and the morality of whether it's... This is, again, the needs of the many and the needs of the few. Uh, this is another opportunity, and to have Seven of Nine arguing for that is... An interesting way, again, one of the things that I liked about the early Seven of Nine episodes were certain uh, connections they were making between the Borg Collective and the Federation's sense of what it means to be a family and and all like that, and... I thought that that I thought could have been an interesting that that's a way that would have made sense. Frankly, I thought that what was happening with her seeing him seeing her in the holodeck thingy was that the doctor was not really ethically evil, that he was just pretending and that he did some kind of hiding her inside the hollow matrix. Like I thought that's where the episode was going with that. And which which I also have major problems with the doctor's arc in this episode, but yeah. we will talk about that as well. But I, I think you're right. Like like all of the all of the points that you just outlined are, are right on, I think. And and what is what is more galling about it is that the second part of Equinox spends in a frankly unnecessary amount of time on um yet another example of Janeway becoming a like being a stubborn um hothead who doesn't listen to anyone and like it's the sixth season of the show we get it yeah like we didn't like tng didn't keep telling us that picard didn't like kids like we knew that it was a part of his character and like every once in a while they would break it out but it wasn't like they made it a major arc of an episode except for that one time and they would also bring out picard hating kids to show us that deep down Picard really loves kids. I right. mean, like, like the episode where he has to, uh, t- you know, take the kids like through the all the disaster and all of that. He's having a great time and it's a little more – the more nuance of that is that Picard doesn't feel that he's allowed to have a child of his own and so exactly. feels very exactly. – that's where that's coming from and that's interesting. This is not an interesting twist on the Janeway is stubborn – well, it's it's stuff that we've seen already, right? I mean, we've seen it so many times before. She is a stubborn hothead. And when she gets a, an idea in her head, when she feels personally wronged, she is going to do whatever she can to to fix the situation no matter what. And And okay, that's a fine character choice, but... We knew that already, and yeah. and we get yet another one of those series of scenes where Chakotay is like, Janeway, this is not a good idea, and you should not do this, and Janeway's like, I don't give a fuck, I'm the captain, and you're like, oh, okay, fine, but but they're trying, obviously, to, to put some sort of parallel between the situation of the Equinox and the situation of Voyager, where Equinox is this small ship with a small crew that has been devastated by its time in the Delta Quadrant. It was never designed for deep space missions. 
And there is this mutiny on board because Captain Ransom has had this convenient change of heart and and the rest of the crew wants to get home. But not really because some of them are with Captain Ransom. And contrasting that with Voyager, which, yes, it has it has had his, its share of issues. It has had its share of, of horrors and problems and loss. But it is still, by and large, a functioning Federation starship. And Chakotay is not going to mutiny. That's the line that cannot be crossed. And you're like, I mean, all right. But we've been watching the show. We get this. Yeah. Like, I feel like with Star Trek Voyager, what is so frustrating about it a lot is that it feels like it's a show that doesn't think that people are paying attention to it. It doesn't think that people are yeah. watching it. And, and you know, TNG was able to tell self-contained stories while still honoring what came before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't need to watch every single episode of The Next Generation or even, uh, you know, most of them to sit down and watch a random episode of The Next Generation in the same way that, it you know, Star Trek Voyager is like that as well. But... Star Trek Voyager actively works against any sort of building long-term character arcs yeah. or or anything. And it just comes across as not preachy necessarily, but it comes across as redundant a lot of the time. Yeah, because I'm imagining this as a season two episode, right? So they've been in the Delta Quadrant about a year and then they come across this other ship, which number one makes a little more sense <clears throat> that they're going to find Ransom earlier and... Uh, in 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 some storytelling ways but also like this whole deal is made at the end of the episode like oh that's the first time that the plate's ever fallen down well we can put it back up and it's like all right that's symbolic that's fine but i'm not necessarily sure it's the very first time i mean tuvix would argue that the plate had fallen down years ago for example and yeah this seems like the kind of thing that needs to come at a crossroads in Voyager's lifetime. In other words, Voyager is at a point where they're they're really realizing that we are in this for the long haul. I mean, that was some of the conversations that they had around the time uh, uh, Ensign Wildman got pregnant, right? Like, we we have to deal with the long term of this, and one of the long term questions is how are we dealing with protocol? Are we going to relax it? Are we going to get stricter, what do we do? And the equinox and the situation for that becomes the answer for that. In other words, we can't relax protocol because we really do, all we really do have are our principles and we really do need to stick further to them. And here's an example of a ship who, the second they saw problems, they relaxed protocol and went crazy. And I mean, if that is the point that the show wants to make, it's a little late to make it because I think six years in and... While the cast, again, while the cast doesn't know they've only got two years left in the Delta Quadrant, we know that, and they know that they are much, much further along their journey. They they have reason to be optimistic by now, so I think they're pretty set on protocol remaining how it is. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I mean, I, I, I we, we always get to this point with Voyager where we talk more about the show as a whole than the individual episode, but... I, I do think that that you could argue that um, you know the idea that that Michael Pillar had when he first created the series that he he wanted to keep the Maquis crew members in civilian clothes yeah. essentially he he didn't want to put them in uh, Starfleet uniforms and that was kind of a diktat from Rick Berman the network I don't know who and and I think what you really see with Star Trek Voyager is a oh. show that 
I think they're like now that we're in the sixth season of the show, I think it's it's clear to me what the two main problems with Star Trek Voyager are. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm ready. I have identified them. Uh, number one, it's that the show has never had a consistent uh, consistent long term character building, long term continuity of events because it has had so many showrunners and you know. Some of them, I mean, they've all been there, right? Like Ken yeah. Biller is going to show run the show in the seventh season when um, uh, uh, when Braga goes off to to create Enterprise. Uh, you know, Braga was there from the beginning. He went over to Voyager from TNG. Uh, you know, Michael Pillar was obviously there, um, and uh, Jerry Taylor was obviously there all the time. But it just feels like each of them had a very different version of the show that they wanted to make. And maybe they just weren't paying as close attention as like, you know what I mean? Like showrunners pay attention to things that writing staff don't necessarily pay attention to. So that I think is the, the, the one problem with the show that I have. And the second problem I think at this point is, is network interference. You know, I don't know how much, the network was interfering. I can't point to specific events yeah. and say, okay, they were doing that. They were interfering with this. They were interfering with that. But from interviews that I have read and yeah. heard and and from seeing some of the writing staff and the creative staff of Star Trek Voyager speak at conventions, it is fairly clear that there was a ton of network interference in Enterprise because the the ratings were so abysmal and UPN was on the verge of failure at the at that time. But even when Voyager was on, there was a lot of interference on the part of, of the network. And that's not something that TNG or DS9 yeah. had to deal with. And so I think a lot of the problems of Star Trek Voyager are kind of I, – I don't want to – like a lot of people are like, well, it just sucks because the writing sucks. And it's like that's not a good criticism and that's not no. very interesting or deep. I just think that well, it's – it's a missed opportunity show in a lot of ways. Like it just, it doesn't quite get there because of so many external events that are out of their control. Well, I mean, you tell, I think a perfect example, yes, put the Maquis in civilian uniforms and then imagine the episode with the first moment that Bellana puts on a Starfleet uniform, that Chakotay puts on a Starfleet uniform. Like that would have been a fucking amazing scene, right? Yeah. And, that's lost from that i mean the, the, it does feel like there i don't know to a lot of degrees it feels like every season of the show is season two yeah it kind of does i mean <laughs> it, it never it never gets over that hump it never yeah. feels like itself right yeah like it never i don't think it has a clear identity and i think that's kind of well maybe that's the third problem with the show yeah every well, time you know it, it keeps feeling like all right we've established something and now we're gonna go with it and yeah, it feels like it's on. It, it, it's it's still on an early step. It's it, it it's chugging, but it never quite gets in gear. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's talk more about Ransom's change of heart then, because I I do think that it is clear that they are trying to make some sort of comparison, some sort of parallelism between him and Janeway, and yeah. and, and kind of failing at it. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I find interesting about the episode is that. Ransom doesn't really have a personality. Like I I don't think that I have a good sense of who this guy is and he's he strikes me and maybe this is intentional. He strikes me as the type of captain that doesn't really have any strong opinions. Yeah, and again, maybe he is someone who is a brilliant scientist. I mean, he, they 
the way that they do figure as horrible as these experiments are, this is pretty heavy science, right? And so it's similar to some stuff we've said about Janeway. If he is on a science mission and if they are charting an anomaly, he is going to chart the fuck out of that anomaly. They are going to figure out the problem. They're going to be really good for that. But just as the ship is not built for long-term space exploration, Ransom is not built for long-term space and exploration either. He is not somebody who is going to make difficult tactical and strategic decisions like this. He's not the kind of person who is going to really be great at a long-term getting these people home. And he, he, his solution is to do the amoral science thing onto this, and that that's his figuring it out. And... Well, I don't even think it's amoral. I mean, like <laughs> that that that's 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 a fair that is a fair distinction. Immoral, uh, horrifying. I mean, again, this is this is not that different from uh, the Cardassian Nazi doctors kind of experiments. Yeah. Um, I do feel like what I do like about the episode is part of that attempted parallelism in that. One of the failings I had with Equinox Part 1 is that Janeway comes off as very sanctimonious, like, I've never broken the Prime Directive. I would never do this. This is horrible. Uh, when she has done a lot of questionable things, and I think this episode makes it clear that this particular experiment is absolutely beyond the pale for Janeway. I believe sure. that. I believe Janeway would never use living things as batteries. And yet in this episode, she also seems she also can condones torture and undermining her first officer and all of and i mean this is this is along the lines of when she threatens to deactivate the doctor in year of hell this is and i think the episode makes it clear that just because she has certain things that are beyond the pale there are other immoral things that janeway would do it's the equivalent of saying i'm not at all okay with slavery but i'll 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 accept murder if you need to i mean right uh, and I, I appreciate that. I think that was a good way of angling that. It is, again, maybe it's a little too late. Maybe we've seen this before. But I think it acknowledges Janeway's flaws while also saying that, no, she is basically a moral person. She is basically somebody who is – we can argue that point in a second, but sake of argument. She is somebody who is a good Starfleet officer. Sometimes she's going to slip up because – this job is that hard. These stakes are that yeah. high. And everybody, everybody who is a Starfleet officer is going to slip up from time to time. What matters is how you atone for it and how you move back from that. And in the case of Ransom, he gets a redemptive death. In the case of Janeway, she's able to talk things over with her first officer and smooth that over there. But Well, I mean, I I agree with you, but at the same time, wouldn't wouldn't it have been more interesting if Janeway and Ransom had a conversation where they mutually acknowledged that being lost in the Delta Quadrant is a uniquely stressful situation? Yeah. And that being the captain of a starship, you you feel that stress a thousand times more than anyone else on the ship. And and we don't get that scene, number one. And and the other part of it that is, you know, in an episode that is reliant so much on, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to, they're they're trying to to make Ransom really think about 
the example that Janeway has put forward and that, you know, he got into the situation. They went deeper and deeper as you, you know, sometimes happens when you make mm-hmm. decisions and make decisions and there's just a chain reaction of shit that happens and you get to a place and you're like, how did I get here? And, and that's, yeah. I think where they're trying to go with ransom, but Janeway, I mean, frankly speaking, she acts like her shit doesn't stink and I think primarily that's my problem with yeah. some of the ways in which some writers write that character where she's sanctimonious, frankly. Like, I I wish that she could have acknowledged some yeah. of the some of the things that they did. But and maybe again, you know, it would have been interesting. I think I don't think the show was trying to go here, but have Janeway's reaction to Ransom be at least somewhat born out of her own guilt over some of the decisions that she's made. But then again, I don't think, I mean, frankly, I'm not trying to be snide, but I don't think the show is smart enough to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think because like Picard is literally the paragon of humanity and part of that paragon is, is he's never sanctimonious, right? Like, even as preachy as TNG well. could get, we still like Picard. You're right. A, maybe a sanct- couple times. I mean, there were some moments in the first season where he got a little sanctimonious. But yeah, I Fair enough. Gen- generally, yes, he is very gracious and humble and all of that. And he acknowledges his mis- – he's more cu- – he's less afraid of having made a mistake than Janeway is. Now – no, no, that doesn't make sense because I was about to say the stakes might be higher for Janeway, but Picard, you know, deals with high stakes shit all the time. Um, yeah, there is a, because Ransom and Janeway are the only two people in the Delta Quadrant who understand exactly what the other is going through. They, as much as Chakotay and Tuvok and everybody are dealing with a lot of the stress that Janeway is dealing with. She is ultimately the one that it all falls on. She is responsible for everything that goes on the ship. Uh, whereas Chakotay is just responsible for most of it. And that 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 is a moment between the two of them where Ransom Ransom can be saying, I did what I had to do. This is a horrible choice, but it's necessary because no one else has ever been in this situation. And anybody in this situation would do that because this is so horrible. And and then he sees Janeway and he sees she has not done this. She has stayed to the principles. And that that does shake somebody. It's And it's true. I wish the episode had done that. Even if on the... I mean, this episode could have been maybe helped by Ransom just babbling about Janeway the entire time that he's making his decisions. <laughs> like, like, well, Janeway wouldn't have done this. You know, Janeway makes them call her captain. Why don't you call me captain anymore? Like, stuff like that where it's very clear that his meeting with her has really shaken the foundations of what he's believed in for the past few years and put the lie to his there was no other way. Uh, in other words, Ransom needs to realize that, well, G- shit, Janeway in this situation would never have done this. And Well, I mean, again, though, I think that, that what the episode is trying to go for is that Ransom is, is, is kind of a weak man. And, and he is really being driven by, um, what's his name, the, the guy who calls Bellana BLT. Like, Max, yeah. You know, yeah, Max, it seems like he's really the the impetus behind a lot of this stuff and and he is the one who who mutinies essentially and 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 you know tells yeah. 
uh, uh, someone to take ransom to the brig. I mean, so he seems to be very influenced by by a guest who I, th- I think he's supposed to be his first officer. But yeah, I don't. And I again, like I feel like with Voyager, a lot of the times they don't tease out these things enough. Like that is something that you certainly can pick up on. But if you don't pick yeah. up on it, it's fine. But but there's a lot of there's a lot of shortcutting here that yeah. that it doesn't work very well because there's so much else going on. I mean, we haven't even touched on the, the weird sexual menacing of, of Ransom and Seven. We haven't talked about the doctor doing some experiments on her. We haven't talked about the aliens at all. I mean, I think that it's it's the aliens are incidental. The aliens are yeah. a MacGuffin. The aliens are a plot point. And I'm disappointed by this. I mean, I don't yeah. want to. I don't necessarily watch Star Trek all the time for very somber and serious attempts to uh, uh, communicate with aliens. I mean, if I want to see that, Star Trek has done it multiple times, like The Devil in the Dark, Darmok. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of examples of those episodes. Uh, but if I'm watching Equinox or Darmok, I'm watching fucking Darmok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, but but the aliens don't really come across, they, they come across as monstrous and and I'm uncomfortable with the way that I mean, frankly, I'm uncomfortable with the way that Voyager treats non-humanoid aliens. And I don't there's not really much to say about them. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, Janeway would never do this. She she sees a dead alien on the on the you know, the the, the hallway of her ship. And uh, it's it's a very sad moment. You're supposed to take away from it that that she could use that dead alien to get herself yeah, yeah, further yeah. and get her crew further home. But she's not going to do it because that's not what Starfleet does. But we don't really get to know the aliens. Yeah. We don't know what's up with them. We don't know what they're doing, really. And it's just, it, it feels yeah. half-baked in a way that Voyager often does. Yeah, I mean, we're told that these are the spirits that this tri- that this one planet likes, and they're re- in their normal form, they're really cute. And I'm, I mean, I find that a very evocative thing. These are basically a culture's sprites, and they... they seem to be, again, peaceful things that have been brought... I mean, is this the first time these aliens have been brought to war? Like, like, is this the first time anybody's attacked them because normally they're just, you know, worshipped and given little food and stuff like that? I mean, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in, here's another culture that, through circumstances, was brought to doing something horrible. I mean, attacking the Equinox is a in self-defense is still a violent act. Is this the first time this this species is dealing with violence? What are they? I'm interested in these questions because I'm interested in the seeking out new life part of Star Trek. Yeah, me too. And I, you know, and, and replace a couple of those scenes of, 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 you know, oh, the shields are down to 49%. The shields are, you know, it's yeah. like, I don't care. We've seen this so many times before. Another space battle between two starships is not going to be that interesting. Like, I'm, it's just not. And, and as, you know, especially speaking from the point of view of, of, uh, Deep Space Nine, which, you know, did a really good job with some pretty impressive space battles that, yeah. you know, had, it had just ended a couple months ago. Um, I don't care, like, because we know Voyager's not going to be destroyed. We know Equinox is not going to survive. Like, it all just feels like road. It feels like a yeah. fait accompli. Like, we just we we know so much about where this is going that it's not interesting or relevant. And I mean, it's funny. We have a shorter episode, and I was thinking, like, all of this this stuff that we've been mentioning. Oh, I wish they'd gone into this character more. 
it feels like at two parts it's too short in that way but at the same time you're right there is all this fucking padding like they wrote the episode and oh shit we're 10 minutes short like let's put in some space battles and that's what people are watching this for because yeah because yeah exactly because i think the other thing and and is that with with the the you know seven of nine she has the codes and that isn't that convenient and they you know delete the doctor's ethical subroutines which I have a huge problem with but whatever um no i don't think whatever i do want to talk about yeah no we definitely want to talk about that but (laughs) like i think the other part of it too is that ransom is seeing seven of nine in his weird holodeck vision thing his rubik's cube or whatever it is not rubik's cube uh what what are those things called that the kids used to have bop it no the, the 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 red thing on your face and you would have the thing and you would see different pictures view masters view masters oh yeah, my like god before four year olds had cell phones that's what we used to do when when we were kids we had view masters anyway and they were um, like 3d it was so exciting like you'd yeah. get like an elephant and like the tusks would be popping out of you like whoa and then you'd do it and it'd be a giraffe they were so cool i want kids that i have no idea what we went through <laughs> um if you're a kid listening to this podcast number one, you should not be listening. You should not. You should tell your parents. <laughs> go you tell your parents this. and then go do your homework and pray and go to bed early because trust me, you need to be healthy when you get 35. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would say like like 15, 16 is probably okay. But any younger than that, you should shut this off immediately. But I but I think that what the, the episode is going for, and again, there's so much work we have to do in the episode's part. Mm. Is that you know ransom feels like this is a, a, a step too far like like the 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 slippery slope of doing these experiments on these aliens and getting them further and further down this path of becoming people that they don't recognize now they are essentially yeah. torturing another human where where did we go what what where did we go wrong and okay, but Again, like it seems to be privileging human life over these aliens' lives, and that's not really the message of Star Trek. Ransom clearly feels bad for harming the Voyager crew and lying to Janeway and attacking them and firing on Voyager and uh, uh, the, the 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 cost of well, if we we have to, it's Voyager or us, which the choice which Max seems to think at the end of the episode, and that for Ransom is to be on the pale. No, our our lives are not worth the lives of Voyager's crew. We need to fear. And that's fine, but you're right. It's 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 only when humans are in the situation. It doesn't matter. We we can use anything as batteries. If the if the aliens were a little cuter and looked a little more like people, they would have never be begun this experiment. If it looked like a puppy yeah. dog, he would not have done that. But they look like lizardy fish things and fish don't have feelings, so it's okay. Right, right. Well, I guess the the final thing to talk about before we move on to survival instinct is the doctor. And I think that this is very much on par with TNG's insistence that Data did not have emotions until he had an emotion chip put in and suddenly his emotions were there. Is the doctor a person? Is the doctor not a person? Apparently he's not because you can just delete a line of code and he is suddenly a monster. See – and again, this this had to do with, I thought that he was hiding her. For all of the talk that the Doctor has grown beyond his programming, I thought the point where they were going to make with this was, yes, they deleted my ethical subroutines, but you know something, I am 
that may have worked for the original doctor who had not fully grown beyond his programming, but I've been on the ship six years. I've had, you know, the friendships that I've made with everybody, the, my respect for life is woven into everything now. And there is not, not to talk too much about the next episode, but that is directly that's basically what seven says to the doctor in survival instinct. But anyway, yeah, I mean, like it's not something that you could just remove a little part and it's gone. No, this is so suffused into the doctor's being. And so, yes, he's going to pretend to be, you know, doing this torture on her when he's really, you know, pulling one. Oh, I, I was really waiting for that because, and that would have been a really awesome moment for the doctor to kick ass. And be, uh, like, cause I like when, that's a thing that I love when the show does uh is w- when they when uh, w- the, the 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 one where the uh they had the very the species and they were hiding hiding the telepaths and all of that counterpoint yeah counterpoint yeah I mean perfect example when everybody is going along with it but they really have a plan I wanted the doctor to get in on that I thought that's where they were going to go and you're right it serves the doctor very poorly it does, yeah. And I mean, we get that nice scene at the end when, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Seven tells him he was singing off key and I'll help you, you know, secure your program yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's nice, but. And it's particularly just... post someone to watch over me, it's nice to see they're getting their relationship back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're, they're, they're always going to have some sort of, you know, warm feelings for each other yeah. and friendship, but. Yeah, it's just like it, it. It it's yet another thing in the episode that really we didn't need to have, and and I think what it comes down to is that this episode is just a series of increasingly poor choices. Yeah, I really love the concept of this episode. I think in the right hands, this could have been a very powerful and stark episode, and it just was not up to the task and. I guess that's that that almost feels like the tagline of Voyager right now, not up to the task. Well, I think that's all we can say for Equinox Part 2. Let's move on to Survival Instinct. But before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to let you all know that this podcast that you are listening to right now, Trek About, and if you don't know you're listening to Trek About, then maybe you should go get some help is listener supported. Please go to patreon.com/trekaboutshow. Check out our reward tiers. We do give you things for giving us money. They're kind of cool. And give now. Okay, Survival Instinct. This is also a very important episode of Star Trek Voyager. Do you know why? Well, it was written by Ron Moore. Is that? That is why. Okay. Uh, he. Uh, so I had, I had intimated about this before. I don't know if I, I told the whole story. But, uh, you know, he, he went over to, to Voyager after DS9. And... You know, I have talked before about their writing partnership that Brian and Braga and Ronald D. Moore had. You know, they wrote Generations together. Mm. They wrote Star Trek First Contact together. They appar- They wrote um, – did they write uh, All Good Things together? I believe they did. And they had a very, like, close working relationship. And as Ronald D. Moore tells it, when he came over to Voyager, when DS9 ended – it did not go well. Like he thought, Oh, I'm coming back. I'm going to be working yeah. with my buddy, Brian and Braga, and we're going to do great work together. That is not what happened at all. Like Brian and Braga felt like Ronald D. Moore was condescending to the show. Felt like he didn't understand it. Ronald D. Moore felt like they weren't doing very good work. I was going to say, I mean, ima- imagine coming from DS nine to this. I mean, 
again, I only sort of know the writer's room stuff, but you, I definitely got the sense DS9 was a lot more harmonious than Voyager ever was. DS9 had a much cr- stronger creative vision and more ambition and stuff. Yeah. And, oh, God, and you can imagine Brandon Braga being all worn down and... Ron Moore comes up. He's like, what the fuck happened? You've lost so much weight. Are you all right? <laughs> and also, I mean, you know, and, and I think both of them have points, right? Like Brandon Braga was yeah. the boss and, and Ronald D. Moore was coming in and being like, what's up with your show? I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly speaking, I mean, this like, isn't... yeah, like survival instinct is yeah. fine, but I it's was... not some like revelatory piece of television or anything. No, I was uh, I saw written by Ron Moore, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a really good episode. They're getting finally Voyager's got the A team, and it's a B episode at best. It's, it's got a lot of good moments to it, but yeah, it, 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 it's not. I'm we're not seeing DS Nine quality in Voyager like I thought it. Would. No, and and I I do like the, I, the the parts of the episode that I like the most actually are the parts that have nothing to do with the a plot. I, yeah, I, the rest of the episode has this sort of like loose manic feel to it that I really like. The the opening scene where Janeway is you know getting her hair pulled by the thing and it's like, <laughs> like Kate Mulgrew is like barely acting. She's just like, it's got my hair. You know? <laughs> and, and the, the, the whole scenes with the aliens that are just like, you know, walking around and, and that mean... scene where, uh, uh, Paris and, and Kim are getting dressed down <laughs> by, by Janeway for, for fighting. And then she's like, you won though. Right. Like, oh yeah. Like, I like that stuff a lot. It's just the a plot that is so yeah. ponderous and serious and full of itself. I mean, it fe- the beginning of this episode felt almost like a TNG episode. I mean, how many times have we seen TNG episodes that begin, well, we've met a new species and we're doing a cultural exchange. And it, this, you know, it, it so happens that Voyager is the guests in this scenario, which is a nice twist on this. But this is how DS – or and I mean, this is a place that is probably very like DS9 in the Delta Quadrant too. And – it's a very holiday feel, I think, in a way. All the st- standards are relaxed. Janeway doesn't seem to be worried that the crew is getting into trouble. She thinks everybody needs to lo- blow off steam. And if if a little fight and stuff like that, and things breaking is all that happens, that's okay. This is This is worth it. And it's a lot of fun. I was hoping this was going to be a Hangout episode. I mean, there are parts of it that are, and certainly I think that individual moments are very funny. Mm. I mean, I, I love, um, you know, Tuvok comes in and, and hands them the security report. It's <laughs> like, okay, that's expected. That's not that bad. There's a page two. Okay, that's a little worse, but there's a page three. Oh, my God. What? Like, you know, <laughs> and and it's just, it works so well. I mean, I I think that, that Voyager is is probably the, the cast that I like the most when they're just given an opportunity to fuck around with each other. Yeah. T- t- Star Trek, whether or not it does comedy well, it's such a... But this, I mean, this is a much better cast at comedy than... TNG. That is one thing that this show does better than TNG is being funny. Uh, and and DS9 had characters that could be funny, but but it Quark very Oda, rarely yeah. did out and out comedic episodes. And I also don't think that there was as much of a family feel in DS9 as there mm-hmm. was in Voyager or TNG. Yeah, it, 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 it's a 
DS9 is more of a friendship bonds and a coworker bonding, and they are extremely close bonds, but you would never have Cisco talking about how he feels like Kira is family to him, even though she's one of the most important people in his life. But yeah, and then, you know, in comparison to Voyager, I mean, I think this episode shows that that the the crew really like each other and that they yeah. can mess around with each other as family does. You know, like Janeway is dressing down Paris and Kim and she's very serious about it. But at the end of it, she's going to wink and nod and say, you know, it's fine. It's not really yeah. that big of a deal. You got in a little bit of trouble, you scamps. You know, <laughs> I kind of expect well, that because yeah, you, know, I, you were looking for a bar, like all that kind of stuff. And, and I... Knows- they won't have this opportunity very often, so it's not like this is going to be their behavior. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they murdered someone. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's it's not a serious offense. They got into a bar fight. Okay, whatever. It happens. And and that's the that's the moment, I think, when when Kate Mulgrew really shines as Janeway, when she's able to play that little sardonic side of her, and, and yeah. it really works very well. Um, it's just, I guess, kind of a shame about the rest of the episode. Like, yeah. I'm not really sure what to make of it. Like there, there's obviously an attempt by Star Trek Voyager in, I mean, seven of nine has been on the show for two years now and she has come a long way. She has developed as a character and now she's what? Like helping other people become human. I don't know. And, and we're individuals, I guess I'm not like, I mean, that's fine. It's all fine, but but I don't think we really it, it 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 feels like it wants to be more important than it is. Yeah, I'm. This episode is making really making it clear to me how many episodes of Star Trek are based around an event in the characters' past, and due to their particular biological or mechanical nature, this event is taking over and becoming massive flash and this is in su- this is used very well i mean the dark page is a perfect example of that episode the episode where uh odo is having flashbacks to the previous uh security head of ds9 this is this could be a very well done one but number one we've already seen I, I thought the raven was a better iteration of that episode for seven of nine um and how many times, I mean, Seven of Nine has gone through this a bunch of times, and... Well, and also, I'm, frankly, I mean, like, there's a lot of questions this episode raises, like, hey, how the, how old is Seven of Nine? Like, <laughs> like, this was eight years ago, and she apparently was, like, the same age. I don't really understand it. I think that it's not well, a huge I, problem, but it's a little strange. I mean, my understanding is that they take her as a child, she gets aged up in a maturation chamber, and then you just kind of stay that age. Okay, like another, I'll buy if, that. I, 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 I don't think that the... I mean, because we saw Seven of Nine's father, for example, and he was still his same age, so... Yeah, that's true. All right, I'll buy that. Sure, that's a great explanation. <laughs> the Borgs are not aging and die and and maturing, I think, but... but... They have to die at some point. I mean, they can't be alive forever, right? No, but you would assume that they get that then it just gets worn out and and the parts start and then they rec- the the biological parts finally degrade after a long time but the technology keeps them going. I'd assume most Borg drones are destroyed rather than die of natural causes though. Yeah, that makes sense. Or they get cancer or something so they've been alive for 500 years. Well, uh, the Borgs are cancer, but that's a different story. <laughs> the Borgs are cancer that get cancer. I I mean, like 
it doesn't really tell us anything about seven and nine, right? Like, like this, I think this is like Ronald Z. Moore coming in and being like, I'm going to show you how to do character drama. And he he doesn't really understand. Like, I don't know if he wasn't paying attention to what they did with seven of nine. I don't know if they didn't explain it very well. I have no idea, but it's an interesting twist a little bit that she was the one that was responsible for this, but you could kind of see that coming. But I also think that it's it's an interesting choice to have her be so afraid of becoming an individual because she was assimilated at a young age. I think that that is something that the show has sort of played around with but never really explicitly yeah. stated outright. That she was so young when she was assimilated that she had no real knowledge or memory of being an individual. Whereas the other three members yeah. of her Unimatrix that were with her on this planet were assimilated as fully formed adults. They had lives, they had relationships that, you know, the one guy had parents he was taking care of. The uh, Bajoran Starfleet officer had a, had a husband. And so when they broke this assimilation thing on this planet, their assimilator broke or whatever the hell it was Yeah, that this started to come out. And seven of nine was, was very, very nervous and scared about this. And she essentially did something beyond the pale but at the same time it's like she wasn't really responsible for it yeah she's like a little girl who wants her mommy essentially and calls down the borg and that 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 because that's the closest thing to security i mean it, it, the the i almost wonder if this is a an event that occurs shortly into after she exited the maturity chamber i mean eight, eight years seems to be within uh within the early days of her borgness but i don't i don't know i mean they they play around with the the time span of her life a lot and and but i think this is actually one of the this goes along with what you're saying about ron moore comes and thinks i can fix it because just as everything feels like it we feel like we are in an eternal season two we feel like we are in an eternal i'm picking up these toys and i haven't really paid attention to the canon that's come before and i'm going to write my impression of this character and so everything really does feel a little off because it doesn't feel like ron moore's been watching the past five seasons i I mean blame him yeah i was gonna say like (laughs) do you blame him like in his defense you know but 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 it also does like there the the exchange with naomi when she's like well i don't really like crowds you know because i was a borg and stuff doesn't really seem to be like seven of nine very much like seven of nine is more afraid of being alone than she is with a lot of people she will be annoyed at a lot of people certainly but well i actually i would disagree with you a little bit i i think that that is actually a smart thing to to okay. kind of put in the episode because I think that indicates how far she's come. Like, and that's fair. Early on, she was certainly afraid of being alone, and that was something that the show told us explicitly. But we are now two years later. We are now two years from her being unassimilated and becoming an individual, and she is now yeah. uh, uh, uncomfortable in crowds. I, I don't know if, if – afra- I mean, I don't did – the, did, the, did the episode use the word afraid? Because if it did – No, no, no. She's just uncomfortable. She she's uncomfortable. She dislikes them. They remind her too much of Borgness, and she finds it unpleasant, I think. Like, that makes sense to me. You know, I, I, I think that that is something that would make sense for her evolution psychologically. And 
Yes, I mean the 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 elephant in the room of course that we are dancing around is that this episode is all about family and this episode is about the concept of family and that Seven of Nine is at a particular place in her development and there are certain people on the ship that she feels like are family. Mm. You know, I I think it's a very very sweet scene between Naomi and Seven. I like their relationship a lot. I I always like yeah. seeing them together. Um and there is an emotional maturity there, which is like the kid is like, yeah, I think you're family. And Seven's like, I think you're family too. Great. You know, <laughs> it's nice. And at the same time, I don't, I don't know if she would feel responsible for these three people that way, though. No. Um, I don't think she, she doesn't really ever call these three people family, though. And... I don't know. Well, it's the episode weird. kind of implies it. It does, certainly. But I find this, uh, I don't know. It almost seems like Seven of Nine doesn't consider three these people on the level of Naomi Wildman or Janeway or, even, or the Doctor or anybody that she is very close to. But... Well, I guess I, they're almost like cousins or something. Yeah, I mean, there's the difference. This is an episode of a difference between chosen family and... Uh, like blood family in the way with the Borg standing in for blood family and her recognizing that she really does have ties to both in a way. Yes, 709 is always going to be with Voyager. That is where her place is. And But at the same time, she does have certain responsibilities toward if she can make... She is really the only one who has anything of a right to make this decision for these people at the end of the episode. And... She does know them. They may again. They may not be chosen family. Uh, this episode might be about queer families. I'm not sure. But um, I, I, if it were a little more sophisticated, I would say it was. But this is just an accident. Um, you may have to explain that for our straight listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, that's it. Like you know, the Borg are the blood family. They're the people you're born into. That you stay with and that uh, you have ties to no matter what and the queer family is your kind of chosen family they're the people that you kind of find yourself repatriated with in a way um a lot of groups of queer people will just kind of hang out together and you know you'll have queer thanksgiving and shit like that um the place you wish you were raised in a way yes that is all true (laughs) I guess in certain, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is really Seven figuring out who she yeah. wants as family, who she wants as friends, who she wants in her life. And I think she obviously feels a responsibility to the, to these people. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very, sh- I mean, part of the, part of the issue with the episode, of course, is that it's a little late on details. I mean, I, some of it doesn't matter, but some of it does. Like, how did these people escape the Borg? Um, why are they like still all together? Why don't they just like, try and put some distance between each other and see if this stops and they uh, could even mention it like once we tried to you know it doesn't matter where in the galaxy we are we just hear each other's voices and so we're working on this journey together to figure it out but it doesn't really matter and also like i mean it doesn't seem that bad like that's the other part of it too yeah, like, that's true it's a little, I mean, it's a little annoying, but it doesn't, it seems like Tuvok or or another telepath could have taught them how to 
yeah, how to not be so confused over. I mean, to the fact that the episode is trying to make us believe that they don't understand their names, like that they are confused as to who they are, and like on the one hand, okay, fine, that's that's an okay thing to establish, but there are ways around that. I mean, races of telepaths exist in Star Trek, and as we have talked about before, Star Trek yeah. is always a little weird about establishing exactly how that works. But Tuvok is on the ship, and Tuvok has yeah. helped other people, like Cast, for example, um, figure out ways to handle having other people's thoughts in their head and or something like Sarek for instance from TNG where you know Picard was briefly telepathic with Sarek and it drove him a little bit crazy for a little bit I mean the episode has this point where they're just like well if you're by yourself that's great and if you're in the Borg there's so much of it it's white noise but three people is horrible and I mean if they if the three of these people had a kind of no-exit-style existential conflict with each other, where they were just the three least-suited people to be together, I could see that. Like, all right, you know, it's bad enough to be telepathic, but I'm telepathic with these assholes, and this is a kind of hell, and I just need to... Like, like, like you joke, but, 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 I mean, again, that would have made sense, just like, I need to... I haven't picked these people to be with. These are people that I am in a sort of family with, but I can, you know, we've got a gay guy, a Bible thumper, and, you know, just a total asshole, and we we, we will never get along. And so we desire to be separated at any cost from that. I mean, that, that could have, that could have made sense, but... What we see, they seem to be getting along fine together. They Their goodbyes at the end of the episode have a bit of fondness to them. I mean, yes, I certainly think so. And I, I mean, part of it, too, is that the episode is a, plays a little bit fast and loose with, with exactly how much they can control this. Because we see them, the first time we see them, they're just like chatting to each other telepathically. And you're like, well... If you're having problems with understanding whose thoughts you're having in your head, could you really be having a telepathic conversation like this? And I also think that these are not really these people are not really established very well as characters. I mean, aside from the Bajoran lady who she's going to stay on Voyager and we're probably never going to see her again because Voyager is just that kind of show. But yeah, she's, she's going to stay on be- Voyager and she's going to like enjoy being on a Federation starship again for a month and then she's going to die. There is something bittersweet about the way that they are going to end their lives, but I don't really get a sense that. Seven feels all that broken up about it, which is more the point of the episode, I think. Like, this is, you know, TNG, as we always said, was famous for bringing in guest stars to tell us something about our characters. And that was how TNG became such a good show. Um, But I don't really know what this is telling us about Seven. Yeah, I, I mean, her, it almost feels like at the end when Naomi comes, oh, I think you might want to be with family. Like, Certainly Seven appreciates the gesture, but it's one that comes of, gee, this was a tough and emotional week for me, but it's not something that I'm going to be torn over about in in, in, a, in a week. <laughs> like, like, this woman is going to die and Seven of Nine is going to go to her funeral and Naomi will be with her and, you know, but it's something she's going to easily get over, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Which... It's not inappropriate in a way. This is a minor event in Seven's life in that way. These are not 
major people. She Again, she has a responsibility for them because they were in her unit and all of that, but they weren't family. And... And maybe that's maybe that's the point. I mean, as we said earlier, like these are more the cousins. These are more the family members mm-hmm. that that are estranged or distant cousins yeah. that she didn't know existed. Now she's going to help them because they're family. Or and people all- you, you know, people you used to hang out with in college that you saw every day and were you know you thought were family at the time, but you're you've moved. It's fifteen years later, and you've moved on, and you have your own life now. And then suddenly, these people from your past are reappearing, and. You know, yeah, it, I, I would I would cross the street if a couple of people were bleeding. No, I wouldn't do that. But, but I think <laughs> no. I mean, but it's but I mean that's a thing. Like there are we both have people in our lives that you know we may not want to help them, but there are you know weird ties from the past that you have to them, and you feel a bit of guilt to them. And if you have the opportunity to help somebody, like even if you don't like them anymore, like like the the yeah 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 yeah. No, I get what you mean. Sure. But but I feel like that's questioning the that's going deeper into the topic than this episode is. I I think so too. <laughs> Seems to be a theme this week. Well, I guess the last thing to talk about before we wrap this episode up is is that scene between 7 of 9 and the doctor though, mm. where she basically convinces him uh, that it is right and proper to fix this problem and I think this is where Ronald D. Moore's strengths as a writer really lie. I mean, we don't get these kind of scenes on Voyager that much, and it's so, so good. It is grounded in character. It's grounded in their relationship. It is grounded in a real understanding of where these characters have come from, and it's, it's very, very well done, and I wish that we would get that kind of thing more on this show. Yeah, it's two characters who have a strong connection, realizing that maybe the nature of that connection is a little deeper than they thought. I mean, Seven and the Doctor really haven't talked that much about the fact that they've had to build each other. They build themselves up from nothing, and that, that, that work of developing their personality is very sacred to both of them. I mean, this is something that, like, something to watch, someone to watch over me goes in that is kind of the nature of their romantic connection comes from that but it's something that the doctor and seven don't even seem to consciously realize until they say it and they recognize no we both do have a very we would do anything for this freedom at this point neither of us would want to go back even if it means our lives we do not want to go back yeah and i also think it's i mean it 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 it's not really about the doctor, which is nice because seven of yeah. nine, I think it shows a lot of, of her personal growth as well, that that she is really able to realize this and she is able to to, you know, experience the emotions of this, to understand what that would mean and and to to explain that to, to someone else. I, I don't think she would have been able to do this a year ago. Yeah. And it's it's a very, very striking scene for for that reason as well. What I thought was kind of uh, interesting um because right before that, she's talking to Chicote. Have we seen Seven and Chicote together much? Not much. I can't no. really. Yeah, I, I I just found it kind of interesting that she is talking now. Obviously, yeah, she could just be in the room and they just happen to strike up this conversation. But Chicote is not somebody that I think Seven goes to for advice, and I think it's interesting that 
he his questioning and uh, his conversation with her is the one which really does get the gears turning in her and that when she goes to the doctor which is somebody that she does have as a confidant a lot of times she says no i don't think your advice is right and let me argue my point and i i mean i i i i think that's a they've certainly grown beyond him being her mentor at this point and it's certainly not as dramatic of a of a a shift in their relationship as with Janeway from uh, mother daughter to kind of more equals as the series is going on. Um, but it is still along those lines. It it it's it does form a maturing in their in the Doctor's and Seven's relationship. All right. Well, I think we'll leave survival instinct there. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. As I said earlier, you can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We are in the sixth season of The X-Files. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username on all those platforms. Please leave us an Apple Podcast review for Truckabout. And why should they do that, Richard? Because it's the worst way to get old people to not listen to us. I had to think about that for a second, but I I think that's not correct. All right. Next week, we are going to be continuing our voyage. (laughs) How has it taken us so long to say that? I don't know. We're slow sometimes. Unless we have said it, which it's very possible that we just forgot. Look, this is like the 300 and what? I don't even know. 306th episode of this fucking thing. So I don't know what it's (laughs) anymore. You know, it's funny. Like, this is just a a public service announcement to everyone out there. Like, we have said many times before that we record these a few weeks ahead of time. Um, Even if we kept on top of this and we recorded it every week and then edited it and released it, we still wouldn't remember what the hell we said. So, like, I always get these things where it's like, you said this in this episode. And I'm like, I guess. I don't know. And then my favorite is when people are like, I'm listening to your TNG episodes and there's this episode where you say this thing. And I'm like... We need the exact episode number. We need the time. Yeah, we, like, we, like, give me if a you time just, stamp. And if with you're... An ep- yeah. Give us a transcription. If you, if you want to comment on us, transcribe the exchange because... Oh God! <laughs> I mean, Christ! You could you could tell me that like in episode two hundred, I said I was going to vote for Ted Cruz, and I would I'd be like, okay, sure. I mean, actually, no, I would not believe that, but because Ted Cruz is an odious human being, and I hope he loses his election this year. But anyway, all right. Next week, we're going to be talking about Barge of the Dead and Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy. <laughs>